We're in the book of Acts today, chapter 16. We're going to talk about hearing God when you pray. I've had people tell me, I never hear God uh, speak to me. And I go, really? You never heard the Holy Spirit say, stop, don't do that. Or, yeah, I've heard that. Well, what did you do? Well, I did it anyway. Well, at least I heard him speak to you. And I know there's others who call themselves Christians and really don't want God to speak to them. They don't want to hear God direct them for that day because they have their own agenda. But we're here this morning because we want to hear God. We want to hear from our loved one, our Savior, the one who died for us, and have him bless our day. Now, the subject of hearing is kind of tricky. I read this recently that half, one half of being married is yelling, what'd you say, from the next room. So hearing is very important. Listening is important. The frustrating thing is trying to hear God and he's not speaking. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, Paul the Apostle went through a time of this where he couldn't hear, he wasn't hearing from God. And it's recorded for us in the book of Acts, but it begins in a surprising place. It begins in failed friendships. So we're going back in time a little bit here, earlier in the book of Acts, actually in chapter 11. If Paul the Apostle had a best friend, his name was Barnabas especially early on. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas sought out Paul. He went and found him and said, listen, if we were to uh, imagine what he could have said, God has more for you. What are you doing here? Come with me. I'll take you to the leadership, the church leadership in Jerusalem. I'll stand up for you. He was true to his name. He was such a son of encouragement. And, and they, this, this friendship lasted for years. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we have this beautiful model of how the elders of the church pray and fast and they seek God. Uh, our elders did this this past week, past Tuesday. We we're just fasting and praying and seeking God. So as they did this in Acts chapter, two, or Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he called out Paul and Barnabas. He said, separate from me these two and send them out on the mission team. That's a pretty direct uh, commandment. They have heard from God. So as these two guys go out, Paul in chapter 14 is stoned to death in this town, Lystra. Stoned to death. I've never been stoned to death. I'm not looking forward to anything like that. But it says they left him for dead. They thought he was dead. And then it said, disciples came up and ministered to him. He actually rose, got up, and went back into the city. Now, it's interesting. It says disciple, the disciples, but there's one guy who's named Barnabas. Do you ever think of that? Your body is getting stoned to death. Now, when they stone you, they don't toss rocks. They like missile rocks. They just, they're trying to inflict pain. They're trying to kill you. So it really hurts. And imagine when, when imagine your friend's getting beat up by a mob. You don't go up there and say, hey, I'm with him. Oh, really? Let's beat you up too. But that's what Paul, that's what Barnabas would do. His friends say, we're, we're with him. I know you're a mob. I know you're trying to kill him. But we're his friends. We're for him. I don't think Paul forgot that. So this, this guy really stuck, stuck close with him. Then in Acts chapter 15, some, this is a crazy thing. Five years after they went on the first missionary journey. Okay, this is just in two chapters. 
Chapter 13, they go on the missionary journey. They, they start planting all these churches. Five years later, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit those churches since we don't have cell phones or internet. Let's go and visit in person. And Barnabas goes, great, let's bring John Mark. Barnabas, being true to his calling, true to his, his name, he wants to encourage. Paul goes, no, I'm not bringing that. That guy's a sissy. John Mark was with them on the first journey. Partway through it, he bailed. He was afraid, and he left. So Paul, I mean, you've heard of A personalities. This guy was a triple A. He was just driven, and he said, I don't want that, that cream puff going with us. I don't think he used that language, but the idea was, uh-uh, there's no room for that guy on this trip. Barnabas goes, oh, no, I see God moving his life. I want to stick with him. It got so sharp that they separated. I think that seriously affected Paul, seriously affected Barnabas. Now, good news, years later, they got back together. And it turns out Barnabas was right. Maybe Paul was right too. Timothy had to grow, but he really contributed to the kingdom of God. Now, second thing happens. So first was failed friendships. Now Paul faces his, his fears. He goes back to Lystra. He goes back to that town where he was stoned to death. I'm sorry, I might tend to avoid that place. I don't like those people, they don't like me, and you know what, they try to, I don't really care where they end up in eternity. You ever have that attitude? He said, right, let's just skip life, let's go to the next town. He goes, no, I wanna go back. And I'm sure he had, I don't know if they call it phantom pain at that time, but oh, my rib cage still hurts from the rocks they threw. The back of my head is still sore from getting pounded with rocks. And he says, I'm not avoiding them. I'm not afraid because I'm going here in the name of Jesus Christ. And he faced his fears. I salute him for that. Then he's got these new friends. He, that's where he meets Timothy, his son in the faith. Silas was with him from the beginning of the second journey. And in Acts chapter thir uh, 16, we have the forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go any further. So that's where we pick it up. Are you there? Acts 16, I'm beginning in verse 6. I'm reading from the New King James. Now when they had gone through Phrygia, in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Did you ever see that? They were, forbid they were missionaries on a missionary journey, and they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them again. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately noticed the pronoun we, so he's with people, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, this is what happens. How do you know the difference? Here it says the, the Spirit, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach, which just doesn't make any sense at all. Go into all the world, right? That's a great commission, but don't go there. So how do you know? Here it's forbidden by the Holy Spirit. But elsewhere, this is years later, Paul wanted to return to Thessalonica, which is over past Philippi, where he's going to go in chapter 16. 
So we know it's years later. He goes, I, I tried to come to you so many times, but Satan hindered us. Now, how do you know? How do you know when it's the Holy Spirit saying no, closing doors, or it's Satan? Yeah, well, for Paul in Thessalonica, he was trying to bless them in relationships to a church that was already there or that he had planted. Satan messes with relationships. That's why we're told again and again, love one another. So how do you know the difference? When is it Satan? When is it the Spirit of God? We call it the three S's of discernment. Uh, you have Satan, you have self, you have the Spirit of the li living God. So how do you make, like you say, I just had this thought, but I want to make sure it's from God. So how do I not know it's from Satan? Well, Satan is the deceiver. He and his cohorts can appear as an angel of light. Hey, this is the way. Go therein. And, and there, we know from Ephesians, it says, we wrestle, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against another person. It's against the principalities of darkness and all this. It's against demons. He says, well, we, we know there's wrestling involved, but a lot of times Satan says, no, 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 I'm just going to deceive him. I think he makes a game of it. I, I think he tells uh, his, his buddies, the, the demons, hey, watch this. Watch me mess with Mike Stengel. I am going to trip him up. This, I'm not a big resistance. I'm just going to deceive him because he's the deceiver. And he deceives me into thinking I can do this on my own. I won't fall. And I'm deceived again. Now, for self, I'm easily deceived. That's why James chapter 1, verse 22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Know the next part? Deceiving yourself. Deceiving, oh, I went to church. I heard a sermon. I heard some scriptures. I'm good. Did you apply them? Because if you don't, you can deceive yourself. The easiest person for you to deceive is yourself. Plus, James warns, you know, there's times when you pray and you don't receive. It's because you ask amiss. You ask that you might consume it upon yourself. It has nothing to do with kingdom living or the glory of God. He says, uh, you're asking amiss. Well, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit of the living God? Well, the emphasis is way different. He glorifies Jesus Christ. He brings things to reminder, to remembrance of Jesus Christ. He's all about kingdom living. So, how do I know? Okay, with these definitions, I just heard something. How do I know it's not me? Well, that's why God gave me a wife. <laughs> you too. It's sometimes a friend comes along and just says, uh, no, that is you, O son of the flesh. Now, she doesn't talk like that to me, but the idea is my wife has been used so many times to speak into my life. That's, that's not the Lord. That's you doing your own thing. Well, what about when it is the Lord? And I'm not sure. I'm wrestling with, okay, before I step out in faith, before I step out of my boat onto water, I'd kind of like to make sure I get some confirmation. It's the Lord. Remember when Peter had messed up his relationship with the Lord and he was backslidden? And one night he goes, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going fishing. And he brought a bunch of apostles with him. And they caught nothing all night long, pulling in those nets all night long, nothing, so frustrated. And in the morning, there's some guy on the beach, hey, what'd you catch? And Peter's thinking, who's this yo-yo? Do you remember what John said? 
John leans over and says, that's the Lord. Do you have someone in your life that can do that? No, no, that's not you. That's the Lord moving in your life. That's the Lord begging, you know, um, wooing you to make the next step, calling you out, saying, yes, that's the Lord. And it's so nice to have friends like that or for you to be a friend like that. So he's now forbidden by the Holy Spirit, and he knows it's the Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts 16, verse 8, he now finds himself in Troas. What's Troas? Now, Troas in this sermon is going to represent a bigger place than just a city. But it happens to be a seaport town. And if you think about it, any seaport town you know has every temptation known to man. Whether you go to Tokyo, Hong Kong, New York City, Los Angeles, Honolulu, Waikiki, you want some? You want a party? We got. You want sex? You want drugs? We got it all. Whatever you desire that seaport town can provide. And so now you're putting this together. I think Paul is still hurting about Barnabas. I think he's going, I, you know, I miss my buddy right now. I could use that guy's encouragement. I could use him to come alongside and say, come on, Paul, we've been through worse together. I miss him. And then I don't get the closed doors. What's that all about? God, I thought I'm doing your will. And now I'm being bombarded with temptation. Lord, it's not easy down here. There's you, Jesus, have a lot of competition. And here's Paul going, man, what do you think his prayer sounded like? Oh, what, what, what do yours sound like? If I was Paul, it'd be something like this. Lord, I'm confused and I'm frustrated. And I think we're supposed to be that honest. I don't pray in King James. Oh, Lord, as thou us, you know, I just like, God, I am so frustrated. I, I'm not blaming it on you. I am glad I have a place to pour out my heart. For he cares for you, as First Peter says. I, I'm, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. You, you saved me. You've forgiven me. You, you, you called me to missions. You've equipped me. You, you got, here I am. Here's the cue. I'm willing. I want to do this. I'm the guy who wrote, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You know what? Right now, woe is me because I feel I'm not doing what I'm called to do. And Lord, none of this makes sense. Then he goes on. I've been this far before. Remember, this is their second missionary journey. They've been all these places before. It's north of Jerusalem and heading east. I just feel you have more for me. You ever feel that? You ever think, wow, I, I feel like I've been taking laps. You know, like the Jews in the wilderness, 40 years of taking laps. I, I feel I've been this far before. I feel you have more for me. Here's my problem. Every time I'm knocking on a door, you close it, and I know it's you. How about this? What's up with the knock and it shall be opened? Jesus, you're the one that promised that. And in the Greek, keep on knocking. I've been knocking. I don't understand, and I'm quoting your promises. Why don't you open it? So, do you trust God when he's silent? Do you trust God when you're in your Troas? 
Do you trust God? Do you still quote stuff like Proverbs 3? Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Do you understand? Do you ever see the, the connection between your thought life, what you rehearse, especially at times like this, and how you feel? Do you say, okay, I don't hear. I mean, we sang some wonderful songs about it this morning. I'm trusting in you. I'm, tr I'm not hearing you. You got my attention. I'm frustrated, but I still trust in you like your Bible promises. How about this one? I, do I cling to Romans 8.28? Do I say, you know what? I know God's using this for my good. I just know. I don't, I don't understand the timing. I don't understand even the ingredients. But he promises this will be for my good. How about Psalm 32? You've heard that lately? A beautiful psalm where... God says, I'm going to instruct you with my eye upon you. I'm, is that? Oh, thank you. I thought something happened there. Did it work? John, you want to just stand here and hold that the whole time? <laughs> that was really good. That was very nice. Let's do this. Good. All right, thank you. Psalm 32. I'm going to guide you with my eye upon you. So it's like, here's God saying, okay, uh, a little bit further. No, no, okay, go left. Okay, go now go right. He's, got, he's taking special interest. Do I claim that or am I rehearsing other things? Like, God doesn't care. He's not going to direct me. He's going to go against his own word. How about the priority of Matthew chapter 6? When I'm confused, I'm tempted, I'm looking around in my troas, every temptation available, do I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all these things will come into place. What I do in my Troas, what you do in your Troas, says a lot about what you believe, says a lot about if you're really following Jesus Christ. Now, when God doesn't open one door, don't you love this saying? Stay in the hallway and keep knocking on other doors. So, Paul did have a battle plan. And this is where he didn't just spin out on his own. You ever travel on your own? It's kind of weird. You know, you, in a place like this, you want friends to bounce stuff off of. One time I was in uh, traveling to India alone. I really like bringing people with me instead. Well, one night I was there, and back then, before COVID, for malaria, you took uh, chloroquine, which they took off the market with COVID, which didn't make sense. So took it for years. So one night, it's 11 o'clock, you take it once a week. 11 o'clock at night, I go, I should read this. And what have I been taking for years? <laughs> it says, warning, may cause suicidal tendencies. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> but you know, you, it's good to travel with people. It's good to have someone around. So here's Paul's battle plan. He wanted to keep himself accountable. I am only as accountable as I want to be. So are you. We all have our ways to hide, to walk in the shade, as my friend Shelton would say. You know, the Bible says if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Yeah, but if you walk in the shade, no, it doesn't say that. And I'm only as accountable as I want to be. You know, you're accountable when somebody in your life who loves you, wants God's best for you, comes up and says, what did you do last night? What was that conversation like with that person of the opposite sex? 
I love going up, like last night we did a funeral for Aleka, uh, Fitzsimmons Pahinui. She was, did her wedding years ago. Her mom used to be my secretary. And I saw a lot of people, you know, you don't see them except at funerals or birthday parties. And, and several of them I did weddings for. And, and I just have a, I love doing this. To come up to them, I haven't seen them in years ago, hey, uh, and loud enough for the mate to hear, how's that woman treating you anyway? You know, or, or usually for the woman, how's that guy treating you? And his eyes usually pop open and, and I go, if there's any hesitation in her answer, it's no longer just a fun question, it's more of an accountability question. Do you have someone in your life who loves you enough to be salt? Who loves you enough to ask those uncomfortable questions, not to condemn, not to beat you up, but to build you up, to help? Paul said, I want friends with me. He has friends. He's accountable. Number two, he kept praying. He keeps seeking the Lord. He didn't go to, to Troas and say, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to talk. I don't want to seek the Lord anymore. And it's in his seeking the Lord, he has a vision. Well, that's a great way for God to speak. It's not the most cons- uh, popular way or consistent way, or, but he can do it. In, jo- in Joel, it says this, your old man shall dream dreams, that's me. Your young men shall see visions, that's you. And so here's a fulfillment of that scripture. Now, the, the verse, the end of this part of the sermon, we see these two words, immediately and concluding. Immediately, so as soon as Paul gets this vision, he shares this with his, with his buddies, and now together they go, immediately we took off for Philippi. This is called spontaneous obedience. You know, where I don't need 20 years to to figure this out. God says, go, you go. Now, as opposed to the person who says, well, as soon as all my ships are seaworthy, I'll go. I think there's wisdom in that. I mean, you don't want a, a, a ship with a big hole in the side. But it could be an excuse, too. Could be, well, as soon as I'm ready financially or as soon as I'm ready this way or as soon as, and maybe God wants to sink your ships so that your eyes are on him. These guys had spontaneous obedience and to me, this is a huge key factor in hearing God speak. It's not like, okay, God, show me my options and I'll get back to you. It's like, Lord, what's your plan? And I'm there. So immediately they, they went out. They went to uh, Philippi. So concluding is this thing, because they said, well, as soon as God spoke to Paul, he shared it with us. Immediately we left, because we are concluding this is how God wants us to move. God wants us to go to Philippi and share the gospel. Concluding is this wonderful term. It means everything came together. Everything made sense. That little thing with Barnabas is because I needed these other friends. And we'll get back with Barnabas. That'll be okay. And he's closed these doors over here because they've already heard the word. And, and he's directing me here. And I resisted the temptations. I sought the Lord. And now I wanted the next city. God gave us the next country. Go over there. Sail over there. And you'll find Philippi and Thessalonica and other churches that you need to plant over there. Concluding, you ever see that where you go, 
okay, I haven't, it hasn't been written in the stars or, you know, I, you know in the clouds. And I, I, but putting it together like that in wisdom, we're concluding. Uh, this, this church helped plant four other churches. Our last one was the, the mission. And to me, it was the most difficult because some of my best friends went, uh, especially like Butch, uh, Eric, Arakawa, who's here this morning. Just like, I don't want these guys to leave, you know? Uh, and uh, it was hard. And, and we're trying to figure out just when do we start this thing? When, when, uh, when do we launch or whatever? Or, and uh, so one day, Pastor Tripp calls me up. He's the guy who, who led the, the mission. And we're just talking over the phone. And it seems like it's accelerating more than decelerating. We have to make this move. And over the phone, I'm, I'm just saying, this how, this work, this work. Okay, well, let's do it uh, right here, the second Sunday of September. And it was a matter of concluding. All these things came together. We had been praying for wisdom for months. And all of a sudden, over a phone call, God gives the wisdom, and it happened. And now God's blessing both churches. So praise the Lord for that. Okay, so Paul goes to Philippi. Was it smooth sailing? Because now we know God's will. Now we know exactly what to do. If you continue reading Acts 16, it's pretty fascinating. Paul and his buddies are going around. They're ministering. They're healing people, you know. And some demon-possessed girl was following them around. She was a slave. And the Bible says she had a spirit of divination. So she, could, she was a fortune teller that made money, buku money for her masters by telling peop, people their fortune. So they're, they're, this girl's following around Paul and his buddies and, and almost, she kept saying, these men are servants of the most high God and they're pointing you to the way of salvation. I don't know why Paul took so He took days before he did anything. Always curious. Obviously, Paul wasn't a demon chaser like we have these days. He was just, after a while, he was so fed up. This girl's at it again. He turns around, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And the demon left. Well, now her bosses have no way of in getting their income. They're used to being in Fat City with all the money she brought in. So Paul and Silas get arrested and thrown into jail. So was it smooth sailing? Is it, well, now they know it's God's will. Now they go there and they get in jail. And that's where they were in locks, the stocks in those, you know, where there aren't, their wrists are tied up, their feet are. At midnight, they're singing praises unto God. You know the story, the earthquake happens, the jailer gets saved. But he never took his eyes off the Lord. Just because I know God's will doesn't mean it's so smooth sailing after that. It might be. Get a new uh, prison ministry. Who knows? So here's how God wants to speak. He will often speak to you by, there's basically four ways. First is his word. He will never, ever go against his word. I believe the entire Bible is inspired by God. That means breathed in by the Holy Spirit. Just as people were writing it, the Spirit of God was showing them what to write. Using their personality, that's why you have four Gospels with kind of four different takes on it. Some use different words than others, and that's okay. But it, I believe the whole scripture is for us, and it's all inspired. So I do devotions. I like to read through the Bible at least once a year, 
And so I'm on my second time through the Gospels this year, second time through Psalms. Um, and the other day I read uh, Psalm 87, verse 7. Did you ever have it just jump off the page? God wanted to speak to me. So in that verse it says, all the singers and all the players of instruments say, all my springs are in you. And it just sprung off the page. I went, that is such a powerful verse. So powerful. What's a spring? It's where I go to get refreshment. It's where I go to be cleansed and just, oh, and filled and, and get away from the, the, the heat of the day. And he says, well, there's a lot of springs out there. You know, there's like some people have seven. Well, if this one doesn't work, I go to this one, has a lot of this going on, and this one has a lot of this, and you know, and the entertainment or whatever. But the writer goes, no, 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 all my springs. They're in you. I don't have seven. I have Jesus. And I thought, you know what? I think it was Monday morning, whenever it was, I thought, I could, I could use refreshment. I, I could use some living water. All my springs are in you. And it just so spoke to me. Yeah, I, I do this little devotion, send it out to our missionaries. I'm, I'm thinking missionaries could always use a word of encouragement. You know, send it out to some people and, and uh, try to bless them with it. Then there's prayer. There's prayer. Now, I love what Fulton shared two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I love, do you remember that? He goes, I'm going to share on something I'm really good at, not prayer, but worry. <laughs> I love this guy. And he talked about in Philippians 4, what to do with prayer. But I don't know about you, but when I pray, I have something open in front of me that I can take notes. Because so often, I get interrupted and with thoughts. Oh, you got to write this prayer. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Do and then you or you got to watch this thing. Or, and, and all of a sudden, you forget to pray. But if you have this, I, I have a Youth with a Mission prayer diary. So Lord puts on my heart, I write it down. And then I keep praying. It's that simple. Keep praying. So that day... Uh, God puts it on my heart, uh, Tom, this, this friend of mine from the Outer Island. Hadn't talked to him since, I don't know, January, February. And I wrote down his name. Because if I didn't, I'd be up here this morning going, oh man, still didn't write Tom. I just wrote down his name. I, hey, Tom, just texted him. Hey, pray for you this morning. Been thinking of you. May this day be a day, there, Psalm 23, verse 3, that he restores your soul. As soon as Tom read it, he writes back, I so received that prayer. And that's all it takes. Sometimes as you pray, God puts somebody in your heart or, or something you need to do or something you need to get rid of. Write it down. Write it down because I'm really good at forgetting. Names, <laughs> what to do, especially chores around the house. But in prayer, he, he speaks to us. How about this in a sermon? God loves to speak through the church. I shared with you recently where Karen and I were going on our first mission trip to uh, Poland, 1978. Most of you weren't born. And we're trying to, trying to save up on my own. There was a surf shop up in Wahiwa that Tom Mayo had other people and uh, driving up there, trying to work to send both of us to Poland. And the car breaks down. 
Got my, my bill, $299, and I think it was 49 cents, just shy of 300. That Tuesday night, go to a Bible study. Greg Glory was visiting from the mainland, big, big pastor. And he goes, yeah, you're trusting God, and here you go, going along, and all of a sudden, boom, your car breaks down, $300. People turn to me and go, like, so what? Did you talk to him? I said, I didn't, he didn't know. But you ever feel kind of called out in the sermon? I think God's telling me to trust him. And everything worked out. We went to Poland, had a fantastic first missionary journey. And then there's those concluding times. Like me and Trip, when we were concluding, I think this is God's direction and it, it fits. We're not forcing it. We're not striving. We're listening. We're, we're understanding. Let's land the plane. God wants to speak to you. He wants patience on my part. He wants me to walk in faith. Yeah, you know, it, if, if there's no faith involved, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is, and he's a, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, yes, it's, it's going to take faith. In my Troas, all right, do you have your Troas? What I do in that Troas says a lot about what I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm assuming by now you're going, oh, I have a Troas, and I didn't know it. I have a Troas, and this is what to do in your Troas. So the Bible gives us a battle plan for our Troas, and you think about it, uh, it's pretty simple. It's not earth-shaking, it's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. You know the scripture. It's the three ingredients of the stew of Christianity. Instead of chicken and noodles and rice, it's faith, hope, and love. Park it there. Park it there. Just, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to dwell there because that's doubt. I'm not going to dwell there because that's hate. We've got enough of that in the world. I'm going to park it in faith, hope, and love. Faith, I know God's going to use this. I know he's going to speak to me. Hope, I have hope that he has the way out or he has the way forward. And love, I love my God. I love the people who God has put in my life. There's another one in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. If you're familiar, Jesus is comparing the believer to the unbeliever. You know, if all I do is worry about what are we going to eat tonight? What are we going to wear? Because you know what? The unbelievers do that. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness what he says, he's like, one, one scripture says, he's the umpire of our heart. He says what's out and what's safe. And so I'm getting, I'm getting it's raining, no, no uh, beach day, meet at Presser's house. Okay. And watch the Bears game. Can you honestly say if I take this job, if I make this move, if I don't do this, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if you do that, you're going to get beyond your troas. When Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, in the Greek is keep on asking. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Um, it's interesting. Troas wasn't Paul's first choice. Do you notice that? He, he wanted to go into other places. 
I, this, I found this fascinating. Paul was guided by hindrance. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to open every door to guide us. Sometimes he closes some doors. And you can be confused like, wow, I, I really thought that was it. Keep seeking, keep knocking, see what, he, what he's got. There's a guy named David Livingston. You probably heard of him, famous missionary. He wanted to go to China. Anybody know where he went? He said it, but Africa. Yeah, it, it helps if you mumble softer, but uh, he went to Africa, but he's knocking on China's door. Then there's this other guy, William Carey. Yeah, I want to go to Polynesia. Well, I would too. Surf's good. Food's good. Anybody know where he went? My favorite, India. You go, wait, wait, wait. I was, <laughs> Lord, we were, yeah, that was cute. I got you knocking. Then I led you to the right door to knock on. So, this is where we end. Said, well, we left immediately, concluding this is the Lord. He wants us to go there and vacation. No, there's nothing wrong with that. He wanted specifically to share the gospel. Now, this is what gets me. This is from uh, Leonard Ravenhill. The average Christian has sung 20,000 worship songs. Tyler, I think, has done way more than that. Just, I mean, on Wednesdays in his office, he's singing all day long. 20,000 worship songs and heard 4,000 sermons, maybe some of them twice, and led no one to Jesus Christ. Oh, they've gone to seminars. They've read books. They've heard sermons about it. But it reminds me of this intern. Karen and I were watching some medical show the other night. Chicago Med. It's the first, first of its kind, so they're introducing all these new characters to develop their character throughout this new year. And one guy was a brand new intern, kind of a lovable guy, big guy. And uh, they say they, they bring in a patient, and the doctor goes, intubate him. They do this like four times on the show, right? They put that thing in your mouth and just like, uh, you know, stick some breathing apparatus down there. So intubate him, and he's going, okay. And he's fumbling with the trying to get the thing open, and the doctor looks at him like, hey, have you never intubated a patient before? What did you do in med school? His answer was classic. Uh, my med school was during COVID-19. We did everything online. I have never touched a human being, a real patient. And the doctor said, get out of my way. And the doctor did it. But I think a lot of people are like that with the gospel. Oh, they've gone to the seminars, they've read the books, heard the sermons. Have you ever shared with someone? Because you, you understand we stand between heaven and hell for all of eternity. And in, in uh, Proverbs 24, it says, oh, hold them back. If you say we didn't know, don't you think the God of heaven understands that, takes that into account? The idea is you have the good news, you have the cure to cancer of sin. To me, Jesus said, when you're filled with the Spirit, that's when you have the power to go be my witness. To me, when you have the compassion, and Jesus said, even love your enemies, you're going to share with them. You're going to share with them. Rather than having the attitude, I can't wait to watch you burn in hell. It's, I can't imagine you burning in hell without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ.
Are you one of those people? It's not a matter of singing songs or sermons. Do you ever share with somebody? So, so what, what do you share? 90 to 95% of believers have never shared, ever. And I don't know how accurate these stats are, but they're kind of frightening. So you go, okay, so what am I supposed to share? Number one, it's not going to be popular. Uh, number one, you're created in God's image. So some people go, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 I'm not created. I evolved. No, good news, your uncle wasn't a monkey. You know, it just, uh, the, the whole problem of evolution, they're trying to remove God from the picture and thus trying to remove our accountability to God that we will give an account, we will answer for what we did or didn't do. So number one, hey, this is really good news. God created you in his image. He created you with a future and a hope and a purpose. Uh, number two, but we've all sinned. Ah, people have a problem. I don't like that word. I know, they tried to, to kill Jesus over that word. They killed John the Baptist. Because he told someone they were in sexual sin. They took his head off. But, but they'll go, what do you mean sin? Are you a sin sniffer? No, 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 no. I'm quoting God's word. So in 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. I'm not here to list, well, it's this one, this one. It's lawlessness. And that means I'm living as if God has no laws or he has laws, but they're not for me. And so you've heard, I like to point out, okay, this is a basketball court. We have basketball hoops and we have lines. The same line I have to live by, you have to live by. That is out of bounds for us all. This is in bounds. Sin is living like there's no lines, like God has no standard. Then you say, you know what? He provides forgiveness one way. Jesus Christ, Jesus who said you must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus who said I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. Jesus who hung on a cross and said it is finished. It's finished. So you get to surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what you share. You know what? You will be unpopular. You will be mocked, except for God. He'll go, thank you. Keep sharing. Keep sharing. Because the first time someone actually turns to Jesus Christ and you were involved in that, and you're going to see them in heaven, we're good. We're good. We're going to close in song.